Welcome, everybody, to the Hammer and Rails podcast. With you, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. And I'm Ryan Bonaparte. And we're back after just an incredible victory over Penn State yesterday. Uh, here to talk that game, we're going to talk the upcoming game against IU coming up this Saturday. And we've got one more thing at the top I wanted to talk about. Uh, wanted to get into it first. It's part of, uh, if you will, the discourse uh, on Twitter the last uh, about 24 hours. So don't know if you've seen this, Ryan. I think it was mentioned in our group chat, but I'm interested to hear your opinion. So you ready for this? Okay. Uh, have you seen the Orange Crush situation? I have. Okay. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a brief explainer for those who are not on college basketball Twitter all the time. So the Orange mm-hmm. Crush is, of course, the Illinois student section. Uh, they're one of the oldest student sections kind of in the Big Ten, maybe in the country. I don't have that information, but they've been around for a while. Um, one of, like, the the innovative student sections uh, throughout mm-hmm. the country. And one thing they've always done is they always, every year, try to go uh, on a road trip to uh, some some game on the schedule. And if you know anything about buying tickets to an away game, it's very difficult to get, you know, big blocks of tickets, say 50 or 100 uh, mm-hmm. together, because most places you're going to want to go, they're not going to have many tickets. And if they do, they're not going to have them all together like that. And if they know who you are, if if you're saying, hey, I'm, you know, Bill from the Orange Crush, here's my champagne zip code and my school mm-hmm. credit card, they're probably not going to sell them to you. It's just the way that it is. Um, so the Orange Crush yesterday put out a statement on Twitter, uh, and I assume elsewhere, saying that they had purchased tickets for the game in Iowa City coming up this Saturday, and uh, they had purchased them, and they found out they were voided. Uh, the tickets were no longer going to be honored at the game on Saturday. Uh, the Orange Crush was then out of the money that they had for the bus, because they were going to be driving, uh, riding, I guess, to that game. And they were pretty upset and kind of taking Iowa to task. And then Iowa put out a statement and basically said, yes, plot twist, that the Orange Crush had tried to buy the tickets or had bought the tickets by representing themselves as the Boys and Girls Club of wherever. Um, And so the Illinois ticket or Iowa ticket office contacted them to try to verify. And they're like, "Uh, that's not us. They found out basically that it was the Orange Crush and then canceled the tickets. And then they donated tickets to the local Boys and Girls Club. So now there are boys and girls from that Boys and Girls Club coming to the Iowa game. So Iowa's kind of using them as like human shields. I think it's brilliant from a PR move. But um, overall, what is your what is your first instinct on this? Who is in the wrong? Or that it's like it's like the uh, Reddit am I the a-hole? Uh, who is wrong in this situation, or are they both wrong? See, I read this, and I on- had only seen the Orange Crush statement. Right, yeah, it and came out first. That, mm-hmm. So you're like, all right, what, what, just, what are you doing, Iowa? Then you realize they lied about being a boys and girls club when their own organization is a nonprofit. Like, um, like because they apparently made a big stink about the fact that they impersonated a non-profit yeah. organization. Yeah. When again, theirs is a non-profit. Right. So now they don't get to travel away, but like y'all lied, you know, what, what were they going to do? And at the same point, 
how do you not realize if you're Iowa athletics that the boys and girls club of Iowa isn't, doesn't have the billing address in Champaign, Illinois. That is a good question. There's just, there's just like levels of stupidity going on here. And I guess it's good that the boys and girls club of Iowa city ended up getting the tickets, but just like, there was so much unnecessary just buffoonery going on. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, as someone who used to uh, book the buses and work on the road trips for the paint crew, Mm -hmm. I completely understand what the Orange Crush was doing. Because as I said at the top, it's very hard to get big blocks of tickets if you are opponent's fans, especially if you're student fans. Because Mm -hmm. years ago, um, when I was at Purdue... Uh, the Orange Crush showed up at a game at Mackey, and their their whole thing is they come in wearing, you know, shirts of the opponent. So they were wearing Purdue shirts, they're up yep. in their section, and then right before the game starts, they just all, at once, they all take off their t-shirts, and they're wearing, you know, their Illinois orange, and they start cheering mm-hmm. and all that. So it's it's a good reveal for them. Um it's it makes them look good, but if you're an opponent, especially a Big Ten opponent, it it angers you to no end because <laughs> you should be able to sell those tickets. You shouldn't be able to buy these tickets as a student organization and get that many people there. So I remember being very frustrated when they came to Mackey. Um, I can't remember mm-hmm. if I can't remember if Purdue won or lost that game, um, but I, I just remember being very very angry. But I know yeah. when the when the paint crew um, bought tickets because um, I was chatting with a couple of the the former uh, presidents uh, after the game and then today uh, they mm-hmm. all mentioned that what we usually did was say it was for a family reunion uh, event <laughs> so we just we just like you know make up a name or use someone in the paint crew's last name and be like oh it's for the Ledman um, you know. Uh, the Ledman family reunion. Grandpa hasn't been to a game in 30 years or whatever. And, you know, so that was that was a way that you could do it without, you know, using a nonprofit to throw them under the yeah. bus. Uh, I, can, I can only imagine what that conversation went when they tried to verify that. Oh, you mean when, when Iowa called, like, the Boys and Girls Club? Yeah. Um, I don't know. We have 200 tickets. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's in our like, budget. Yeah. I think they said as well that they got the tickets discounted too because it was such a large group. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So that's I know that's part of the issue as well. But like I, I understand what everyone was trying to do. But like sometimes you're going to get caught doing some shady things. And you can't really be mad with what Iowa did. I mean, at least they refunded your money. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, they did get the money back. But, yeah, you're, you're SOL when it comes to the bus because you can't cancel it that close to the game. Right, yeah. I mean, four days, you know, four days before the game or three days, whatever it was, when whatever when they got informed. We don't know when they got right. informed. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so they're they're out some money. Um I know one of my other buddy, Matt, said uh, what the, he was the former president when I was the vice president of the paint crew, said if if it was him and they canceled the tickets, he said, I already paid for the bus. I can't get that money back. I'm going to Iowa City, and I'm just going to sit outside their arena the whole game. He said, I'll take a projector 
uh, and watch the game on the side <laughs> of their building and dare them to kick me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the Orange Crush has done that again at Mackey within the last couple of years. I think they did that with one of the uh, Kofi Coburn teams. Okay. Because I just, yeah, I remember being in stadium and just all at once, everyone just rips off their black and gold shirt and then they're, you know, all wearing that gaudy orange. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a cool reveal, but like, just get tickets the normal way. I mean, <laughs> it's not like, it's not like you don't know people at Purdue. I guarantee you someone knows someone at Purdue and then you can go from there and get student tickets. Yeah, but the, I mean the problem with that is you got to have an ID and if you if you want, you know, 50, 75, 100 together, that's yeah. where your problem becomes uh, a big that's problem. Fair. So, <laughs> um I, I don't think anyone comes off looking particularly good here, but I think overall, you know, as much as I want to side with the student section because I'm a big fan of student sections, uh, I think <laughs> I think kudos to Iowa for figuring it out. Um, and giving their money back, but then also yeah. using the Boys and Girls Club as, like I said, a human shield to be like, oh, you can't be mad at us. We're giving yeah. we're giving tickets to the Boys and Girls Club. So uh, good luck. Exactly. So I, I think it was a it was a great move by them. But I don't think anybody comes out looking particularly great. Yeah, I mean, would Iowa really have sold all those tickets anyway? Yeah, that's that's the other question. We had uh, I mean, s- somebody who um, follows us on Twitter sent out a picture of, of the last game at Iowa. It was uh, still in the – it was like early in the second half, and the stadium was just like a third empty. I mean, it was – it looked very bad. So he's like, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem if you want to just show up and get tickets. But uh, I, I mean, guess – It's really odd because there's only like four things to do in Iowa in the entire state, so you might as well just go to the basketball game. Okay, basketball game, football game, something with corn, and maybe the state well, fair – yeah, and technically, I guess the Iowa wrestling team is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, the wrestling team is very good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Something with corn. Yeah. That's usually about half of the events anyway. Yeah, There's maybe, always the Iowa corn queen pageant. Yeah, cool. Good to know. Maybe maybe the corn yeah. thing could just be the state fair. I know that's a big deal for them, so uh, we could just go with that. So there we go. There's there's your uh, update on what's going on on uh Purdue or Purdue on college basketball Twitter. So uh, now you mm-hmm. are all caught up. But Ryan, we had a pretty good game uh, Wednesday evening, six thirty tip off. Purdue just absolutely uh, blows the doors off of Penn State, eighty to sixty, and ultimately it really wasn't that close. Uh, just mm-hmm. Purdue was comfortable. Purdue fans were comfortable nearly the entire game. Uh, really, really looked a lot better than they did the first time these two teams met in Philadelphia at the Palestra. So um, we know, obviously, someone stands out in this game. So tell me all about the night that Mason Gillis had, if you would. Yeah, well, he decided to absolutely torch Mackey Arena with his shooting by going 9 of 12 from deep and scoring a career-high doubling his career high from previous and dropping 29 points. Wow. In just absolutely lights out. There was about a 30 second stretch. Uh, thir- yeah, 30 seconds where he just hit three back to back to back three and coming out of halftime he won on an 11 to 0 personal run. Yeah, all by himself. 
I, yeah. I, I can't remember a player ever doing that um, for Purdue. I mean, I know <sighs> back in you know the two, 2008, 2009, uh, Robbie Hummel mm-hmm. had a couple good runs, especially one um, against Ohio State that comes to mind. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't know if it was 11-0. That was crazy. Um, I mean, one of the one of the best performances I've seen uh, coming out of a half for sure. Mm-hmm. And he he didn't even. It's like he didn't show emotion throughout the entire thing until the very end of the game when he finally got pulled out and Matt Painter sat him down just so he could get the standing ovation from the crowd, rightfully so. And then he was all smiles. Yeah. It's like he is the kind of guy who comes in, puts his head down, does his job, and then, you know, does his job well, I might add, and then gets off the court. But to drop 29, you felt so bad when he missed a free throw at the very end of the game because he was going to drop 30. And it just it rimmed out on what also could have been a shooting foul to get him two attempts anyway. Right. But, you know, I think everyone will take it. And it's so nice to have so many different scorers on this team who can just randomly drop 20, 25, 30 points because Brandon Newman has a 29 point game. David Jenkins can just absolutely go off. Uh, Trey Kaufman Wren has a 24 point game. These are all bench players for Purdue. Like you don't have this sort of depth on teams almost ever. Yeah. Like it just does not happen. Yeah. And it's an embarrassment of riches. So I was looking up Mason Gillis's game log uh, for this season. And I was looking Mm -hmm. at what he's done throughout the big 10 season. How many three pointers do you think, before the Penn State game, so taking out the Penn State game that we just played, how many three-pointers do you think he made the entirety of the Big Ten season? All right, so that's 11 games? Yes, but remember, he was injured. I'm going to go with seven. You are exactly right. <laughs> that is unbelievable. You are exactly right. He had seven three-pointers uh, during Big Ten season coming into last night's game. He hit nine in one game yesterday against Penn State. Um, he was 0 for 2 the first time uh, these two teams met. Um, ultimately had five points in that game, but 9 for 12 for a total of 29 tonight. Um, and Ryan, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, but this uh, the nine three-pointers makes him the uh, atop the leaderboard of Purdue players uh, of most three-pointers made in a game in Mackey Arena, uh, tied with mm-hmm. an opponent for the most by any player. Uh, and he, of course, did break... Uh, a, a record that Robbie Hummel was one of them uh, who held it, and he was, of course, calling the game. So that was a that was a little interesting wrinkle for those watching the game. Uh, cool to, moment, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> Robbie Hummel at one point was like, "I really hope he doesn't make any more. <laughs> he can stop at eight. But of course, then he broke it. Yeah. But uh, quite the moment for Mason Gillis, um, who you know has been sick, uh, who fell out of the starting lineup, and has really, I think, adjusted well to his role, and had just a monster game and really, I mean, carried the team for a large portion of the game uh, last Mm -hmm. night. And as you said, the depth on this team is just astounding that we just, we never know who's going to step up and, and truly have such a great game, a career game. And Mason Gillis was the guy who did it yesterday. Yeah. And like, 
<laughs> you saw Robbie Hummel. Not only did he have to call the game, he had to do the post game yes. interview with Mason Gillis too. So you just you saw it in his eyes, like oh, I have to go do this. Like congrats to him, but like that was my record, man. Right. And you knew that was Robbie Hummel's mentality. But yeah. Yeah. It was what one off from the all time record for Purdue. Um, yes, yes, because just, Carson Edwards had hit ten in an NCAA tournament game. We don't talk about that game. Exactly. Um, so, um, just you don't expect it to be Mason Gillis, right? Like, I believe I saw a stat that his three point percentage rose from like thirty two percent on the season to I want to say forty overnight. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the move. I, I understand doing that. Yeah, I get doing that in like the sixth game of the season. But when you are twenty two games deep, that's just absolutely insane. Like this is nine of twelve for Mason Gillis is like a really good like five to six game stretch for him. Oh and yeah, he did yeah. one. Uh, yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. I'm doing the math. Uh, on what he was uh, percentage-wise before this game versus now, he was. He was sitting at Mm -hmm. 32% coming into this game, and because of that 9 of 12, uh, he jumped up to 40% overall. So an 8 percentage Mm -hmm. point rise in his 3-point percentage just based on one game. Fantastic. Yeah. just And you have to give credit where it's due. Like, I don't know that Mason Gillis gets all of his nine makes and 12 shots without the rest of the team doing well. Like normally it's Ethan Morton who gets sagged off and they double Edie in the post and Ethan Morton went two for four in this game. Yeah. He proved that he could make some shots. Then obviously lawyer and Smith can hit from deep. They combined two for nine. They weren't really hitting in this one, but um, you know that just everybody from the outside can hit from deep, and there was so much attention on Zach Eady, he was able to just get the ball out, and it that one person that Micah Shrewsbury and company did not guard just happened to be the guy who absolutely went ballistic. Right. Like, that is going to be the best recipe for success if – you're doubling or tripling or just absolutely putting pressure on Zach Eady, who, by the way, went 18 and 13, seven and nine from the floor. Yeah. Like that's, that's a career night for like half of college basketball. Yeah. And this is just a boring stat line for yeah, Zach Eady. Exactly. I said, um, I said on Twitter, you know, he didn't have a really good first half. He only had eight points and nine rebounds mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody like was like, just read that and then take a step back. Like we are so spoiled as Purdue fans with what Zach Eady brings us that we look at a, at a half, one half where he had eight points and nine rebounds and are like, man, he didn't really play very well. And then, you know, like you said, finishes with 18 and 13, uh, just, just an absolutely, uh, monster of a player. Even if, even if he doesn't play 
or put up the stats that we expect him to because mm-hmm. it's one of those it did look like a pedestrian ho hum game for him but 18 and 13 you'll take that i mean most player any player in college basketball uh would take that as their stat line and we don't look at him as having a great game by his standards so it just shows you really what Zach Eady is capable of um i wanted to wanted to highlight Braden Smith too you know you mentioned yes. he had 9 points he also had 9 assists uh, five rebounds and a steal. So just overall a great game uh, for Braden Smith. Mm-hmm. No turnovers either. Nine assists, zero turnovers. That's a pretty good day. Yeah, and he was out there for 35 minutes, no turnovers in 35 minutes. That's great. Um, and it was good. Uh, one more thing on Edie. It was good to see him only play 29 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. Not that that's a small amount by any means, but you know if we can get him uh, a, a little bit of rest, a few uh, less minutes in these games where uh, things get a little bit out of hand, that is great for Purdue to, to make sure he's rested, to make sure he's healthy uh, and in good shape because while we want to win the Big Ten title, it's very, very important to all of us. Uh, March is where he's going to be most important, so we've got to make sure he's healthy, uh, he's ready to go, he's mm-hmm. got the stamina, he's got the legs. So anytime Painter can give him a few extra minutes, that is just absolutely perfection. Yeah. And I think Purdue had a pretty solid approach on the defensive side, too. I mean, they did not want to do what they did last time and just let Jalen Pickett go bananas. Yeah. So there was a lot of pressure on Jalen Pickett. And Purdue did – they forced pressure on Pickett and Lundy, and they sort of let everybody else kind of go. And even though they let Funk get – some shots off he only went one for nine from the field which is kind of the difference i don't want to say the sole difference in this game but like because he went over six from deep and just couldn't do anything with shots when funk wasn't hitting penn state had no answers purdue was taking down lundy and pickett who combined for 30 in this right. game yeah fully which is, fully which half is a of good penn night point. yeah i mean that it's not the most ideal, but it could have been a lot worse. If those two aren't dropping 50 combined, you're happy. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, so. too, because, as you said, in the first game these two teams played, Lundy and Pickett absolutely killed Purdue. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that – and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say they combined for around 40, um, mm-hmm. if not more. And then – so Painter realized, you know, these are the two guys that are going to beat us if they can. So he did everything he could to slow them down. And then, of course, as is Purdue custom, uh, we had a random guy from the opponent come out and just look like he was uh, the absolute best basketball player you've ever seen. And that was Michael Hen out there rocking his headband and his long hair. Uh, yeah. You know, goes starts, I believe, three for three from three-point land. Ultimately winds up three for six, but he had 11 points. I don't even know who this guy was coming into this game. Uh, and and he just absolutely was crushing Purdue at the start. Um, they they clamped down on him later on, but man, for those first few minutes, it really looked like he was going to score 40 points on Purdue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Mason Gillis took all of his powers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He, so. went, he went Space Jam Monstars on him, uh, and then from right. then on, it was the Mason Gillis show. Yeah, so I'm. you almost... You know this happens to Purdue every time. Matt Painter locks in on the best players, and it's always that third or fourth guy who just has an absolutely ridiculous, out-of-the-norm 
uh, performance, and that's what Hen looked like he was going to do. And then he finally he cooled off, and he also started getting into foul trouble because I believe he was the one that they put on Zach Eady. Yeah. So that's where you start having your issues. He finished the game with four fouls, and just these players, they're not all the you know elite shooters that apparently Mason Gillis is. That's right. But they, not everybody can always go, you know, get four threes to go. And just, I can't get over this night for Mason Gillis. Oh, I know. Good I mean, for him. Yeah, I mean, absolutely great for him. It's one for the ages. I mean, it's a game, even though it wasn't necessarily, you know, a, a marquee opponent or, you know, a huge game that Purdue had to have, it's going to be mm-hmm. one a game that people remember for a very long time uh, just because it was so special. Mason Gillis looked so dominant, so good. Um, and this this is really, I mean, this is what Mason Gillis can do if given the opportunity. I mean, we saw last year mm-hmm. they talked about, you know, he was shooting um, something along the lines of 90% from the free throw line, 40% from three, and 50% mm-hmm. from the field. Or, uh, that yeah, third 50, one might, 90, 40. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And... He hasn't looked quite as good this year offensively, um, right? but I would love to see him get back to that, and yesterday might have been that first step. So it was just incredible, incredible to see him play the, to the, up to that level. Mm-hmm. So I almost wonder, because I realized this while watching the broadcast, yes. Grady Eifert is actually one of the assistants for Penn State. Right. I wonder how he felt seeing the you know guy who came in and took his spot do what Mason Gillis did. Yeah, it must it must be weird. I mean, I'm sure it's weird for Shrewsbury, but Shrewsbury has no mm-hmm. real like initial connection to Purdue. He came in because of his friendship with Matt Painter, whereas I right. you know, his family is a Purdue family. He played at Purdue. Um it must mm-hmm. be so weird for him to come in as an assistant coach against Purdue and be yeah. rooting so hard against Purdue because this is his career <laughs> now, you know, this is his livelihood. And right. to, to come in and, and just have to like root against the guys who he played with, who he knows, right. um, mm-hmm. and and helped coach, and you're just like, oh, this is this has gotta just be so uncomfortable for him in a way. But um <laughs> it, it must be also, you know, a great, great position to be in because he's so young. Um and to be on an assistant mm-hmm. Being an assistant on a coaching staff at a Big Ten school like that um, is an incredible opportunity, and I really hope uh, he succeeds. But I would hate to yeah. hate to be in his position. It must be incredibly difficult. Right. Yeah, and you feel that way almost not to that much of an extent, but with like Robbie Hummel and Rayfeld Davis who go into broadcasting and then just have to suddenly be objective yeah. about everybody – it's like you know Robbie Hummel wants to just completely put down Indiana every week, but he can't. And you know, good good on him for being professional, but like just once you want to see someone just absolutely speak their mind about their rival school from when yeah. they were in school. Yeah. Um I will say I want to correct myself. Grady Eifert's official title is video coordinator uh for Penn okay. State, but it's still a pretty good position for a guy his age. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really looking forward to kind of see what he does in his career um, because I think he's a brilliant guy. I think he's a hard worker. Um, and I I would hate to see him on, an, on a, a sideline as the, uh, as the opposing coach. I think he's got a mm-hmm. really good future ahead of him. So 
Anything else about Penn State before we take our break and, and look ahead to IU? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, other than paint crew, back at it again. Yeah. I just, you know, <laughs> to, to be able to be in the paint crew and watch the number one team in the nation, what what a treat, what an honor uh, for those kids. That, that's something they're going to remember forever. So uh, I am, I'm a bit envious of what they've got. But, you know, I, I had a good time when I was there, so I'll let that go. But uh, there you go. That's Purdue's victory over Penn State. Takes them to 22-1 and overall and uh, still atop the Big Ten. So we'll be back mm-hmm. uh, right after these messages from some fine folks who are trying to sell you some stuff. And we are back. So everybody knows what's coming up on Saturday. Everybody mm-hmm. knows where we're going. Everybody knows who we're playing. We're going to Assembly Hall. Number one ranked Purdue heading to IU. What are they, 22nd? 22nd ranked? 21st. 21st. Uh, but they did lose, mm-hmm. so they won't, be, uh, they won't be 21st for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Unless they beat us, then, you know, we'll see. Um, but they did lose to Maryland in their most recent game, 66-55 to at Maryland. So, oh boy, this is, this is the big one. I mean, looking at Purdue's schedule, this is probably uh, the most difficult game they have remaining. No doubt it's the most difficult road mm-hmm. game uh, they have coming up. And I just, it always scares me going into IU. Um, I don't care, you know, the records. I don't care. Um, I don't care the record. I don't care the ranking. You go mm-hmm. into your rival's gym, it's going to be tough. So IU has had some struggles this year. If you haven't been paying attention, uh, they've had some injuries. They currently sit at 15-7. and seven. Uh, They're fifth right now in the Big Ten standings. And they've had only one loss at home uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And that was to Northwestern of all teams, um, eighty-four to eighty-three. Uh, Northwestern, I believe, was up pretty big in that game, and then IU came back. Uh, Northwestern held on, but it, mm-hmm. it has been a strange season for IU, mostly because of those injuries. But they're coming off a loss, as I said, at Maryland. This is going to be a tough environment for Purdue. There's, there's no question about it. I mean, we love to dump on IU on this podcast, but you can't take anything away from Assembly Hall. Uh, unless it falls from the ceiling, then you can take it away. It's a it's a prize, um, but it's going to be a tough place to play. It's going to be a tough game. Uh, Ryan, what are, what are your initial thoughts on not only this game but just this IU squad in general? Well, they have the second best player in the Big Ten, in <laughs> Trace Jackson Davis. I thought you were going to go completely off book and just say like in Trey Galloway or something like that, just to exactly, just yeah. to put salt in the wound. Mm-hmm. No, I'm. You know, you can't deny that Trace Jackson Davis has got elite talent, and it only took him three years to find <laughs> it. So, and two head coaches. Well, yeah. But, uh, I mean, he's good for he's good for 20 and 15 every game, it seems like, um, for the past month, essentially. But past Trace Jackson Davis... IU doesn't have much going on. I mean, Jalen hood Shafino is hit or miss in some games. He'll either be a flamethrower and drop 25 by shooting lights out on the perimeter and mid-range, or he'll score six. So, speaking of uh, hood Shafino, he is their, mm-hmm. their freshman point guard. He's, I believe, was a five-star uh, recruit when he came in. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about his game? 
Um, what do what do Purdue fans need to look out for? I mean, you mentioned his three point shooting. Is he a consistent three point shooter? Is he going to drive? Uh, does Purdue need to stay in front of him? What does Purdue need to do to kind of slow him down? Yeah, so he does a little bit of everything. Um, I think coming off a of pick and roll, he's pretty good. Um, where you can come off pick and roll, he can drive. He beats you with that first step. Similar to think Jaden Ivey, what he did, just not as quick, and he doesn't have the hops to absolutely just murder a basket with a dunk <laughs> like Jaden could do. But he can still get off of the you know high ball screen and then drive to the basket. And um, what he does do well is he can actually get out in transition and then um, have transition pull-up shooting. So he can stop on a dime and he can get his defender to keep blow pass. And then he can shoot, you know, usually pretty open looks just because of how quickly he can stop. Yeah. And, that, so, and that's, that's tough to defend when you're, when you're going on a fast break and the, and the guy pulls up, I mean, you have no idea what he's doing. You're not going to be able to stop at the same time as him. That's going to be an open look. Mm-hmm. And lately it's been Hood Shafino who is able to throw up a lob for Trace Jackson Davis. So even when he's not shooting, it still can be dangerous. So it's really just those two are your main threats. Um, Indiana can shoot the ball pretty well outside, but they tend to not be able to get outside shot at se- outside shots at see. Se- they have Miller Cop, who the former Northwestern guard who can shoot. Um, and then Trey Galloway has done better this year being able to shoot the ball, but he still hit or miss with his shot-making ability. And other than that, you don't have too much. This team misses um, Xavier Johnson. They... Um, really need his ability just to handle the ball and run the offense, but they've really had to key in and, um, and have Jalen hood, Shafino support that. And he's just a freshman. I know freshmen can do a lot as evidenced by Braden Smith and Fletcher lawyer, but um, you can't, put the entire offense on the shoulders of one player usually yeah that's hard to do um, because if you have an off night as someone inevitably will I mean even Zach Eady mm-hmm. uh, will have an off night you you basically find yourselves in a terrible situation if that if that person has an off night so uh, they are mm-hmm. missing as you said Xavier Johnson because of a foot injury uh, he did have surgery uh, he's expected back sometime in February but they haven't mm-hmm. indicated when that is. So uh, I can't imagine he would, you know, just show up at the Purdue game uh, without any <laughs> sort of uh, news leaking about him practicing or going through warmups or anything like that. So um, right. I don't expect him to play in this game. But to your earlier point about um, Trace Jackson Davis, he really has, um, you know, Indiana went on a five game win streak there. Uh, just before this Maryland game, they beat Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Illinois, Michigan State, Minnesota, and Ohio State, and he really did have have some pretty good games. I mean, he scored, let's see, 18, 35, 31, 25, um, and I don't have the Ohio State numbers in front of me because Hood Shafino was the leading scorer, uh, but he still grabbed 10 rebounds in that game. So he, he has mm-hmm. been very good uh, these last six, seven games, but 
as you said as well, he he's been the same guy for about three years, and mm-hmm. he does he seems to have put it together a little bit more in that streak right there um, because he is. I mean, he's incredibly talented. He's athletic. He can jump. Uh, but you know, Casey always liked to say when he was uh, my co-host here that Trace Jackson Davis is a good dunker, uh, but not much he of really anything is. else. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy that's going to beat you from the, a 10 footer, a 15 footer. Um, he's certainly not going to beat you from deep. So I hope that that, that means, uh, Zach Edie can do a good job on him defensively. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, obviously going to be a little bit quicker than Edie. Uh, but Edie has, has shown a good ability to stay in front of defender, or I'm sorry, offensive players who are quicker than him. So hopefully that can continue, mm-hmm. uh, in Bloomington. Although I do wonder if it's going to be Zach Eady guarding Trace Jackson Davis. Okay, what do you think they would do then? What do you think Painter who would Painter throw at him? First? I I would think first and then you just have sort of you have Eady clog the lane, so you sort of take away the you know, easy dunk opportunities from Trace Jackson Davis because he's not gonna beat you from deep. Right. Or you know, he's not gonna beat you from beyond mid range. Yeah. Exactly. So if you have first on him who is tall enough and has been quicker on his feet this season, I think that may be advantageous. The only problem is if you have a race Thompson who starts drawing Edie out a little bit more, but race Thompson is not the most prolific scorer from outside either. Correct. Yeah. Plus again, seven foot four gives you a little bit of leeway. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what Matt Painter does. I mean, if you do have Edie on Davis, I don't know that Davis really gets to the rim at all. I and hope not. at that point you're just you're gonna have to rely on his, you know, quickness around Edie, but that's that's a tough ask. Yeah. And and if you'll remember last year when these teams played, uh Trace Jackson Davis found himself in foul trouble. Uh, because he was right. trying to guard uh, both Edie and Williams, but I think his, his fouls were largely <laughs> on Edie, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, mm-hmm. But last year, when when Jackson Davis went to the bench, IU actually played better. Um, IU right. played better against this Purdue team when uh, Dra- Jackson Davis was in foul trouble and not on the court. So uh, mm-hmm. it could be a good thing for them, um, but I, I think the way he's playing this year, they're so reliant on what he does. I'm not sure... Um, that they can they can do anything uh, without him on the floor. He's so important to them at this point in in their season. Yeah, and Trace Jackson Davis on defense has been important too. So you wonder if they're going to put Jackson Davis on Edie or if they're going to put Race Thompson on Edie. Either way, it's a height miss. But who do you want to take those fouls more is the real question. To your point, we you know. It almost is advantageous to play small ball, but you still don't want Jackson Davis to be taking you know the fouls if you're hacking Zach Eady. Right. But it's we're it's gonna be in the Hall of Calls. Yes. So we'll see. Um, as long as we don't get Courtney Green, we're good. Yeah. That well, that guy just Purdue can't win a game against the spread if Courtney Green is the official. So if you know, <laughs> you know, you you follow it. So. Mm-hmm. It, you know, as I said at the top of this half of the podcast, I'm never comfortable 
when Purdue goes into Assembly Hall. I don't care about the records. I don't care about the rankings. Purdue number one, IU 21. In theory, Purdue you know, should come away with a victory. But mm-hmm. y- you just never know in these rivalry games. And again, we, we dump on IU as much as we can because it's a rivalry. But they do have a lot of talent on that team. Um, they haven't haven't been able to put it all together, um, you know, over the past I don't know dozen years, but they've got the talent. So yeah, it 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 always worries me. Um, so other than Hood Shafino and Jackson Davis, is there any other player from IU that kind of worries you that you're looking out for that you're thinking maybe could have uh, a game that that gives Purdue trouble. Is there anyone else mm. we need to know about? Um, Galloway is one that sticks out to me. Maybe Bates, uh, but I'm curious as to what you think. Yeah, Bates was who came to mind, and then Bates and Miller Cop. Yeah, Cop is, is a good choice too. So you're going to have it's going to be Ethan Morton's going to be the one guarding Jalen Hoodsfino. It's just Purdue's best guard defender is going to be on their best guard. Do we, do we think so, Morton do we think Morton is fast enough? Quick enough? He's he has been he might help negate the drive to the basket and I think he's got it in him. He's going to be, you know, ever you know, everyone's going to be pumped up for this game, he's firing on maybe not all cylinders, but everyone's going to be pumped full of adrenaline. Oh yeah. So I definitely think he can do it, and I think that's going to be the initial game plan, whether or not they stick with it. I don't think Fletcher Lawyer is going to be able to do it, and Braden Smith has been iffy for me on that. So I think the best bet is Ethan Morton. So that leaves – you have Tamar Bates, you have Miller Cop, who are who can shoot the ball, and Trey Galloway. I think what you're going to end up seeing is – Trey Galloway is probably going to be guarded by, um, I would think Braden Smith is going to guard Trey Galloway, and then you're going to get um, Fletcher Lawyer on Miller Cop just because of size comparison. Yeah, that makes Miller sense. Cop is six seven, whereas uh, Galloway is six four. So that's that might be difficult, and. It's going to be key that Purdue doesn't turn the ball over in this game because that's where Indiana can really start to put their foot on your neck is if they start getting out in transition, getting easy layups. I can't tell you how many easy layups Trey Galloway has this year for some reason. Um, He's just got a knack for getting the ball and getting down the court uh, on a breakaway. But... If you can avoid that and you can avoid getting Assembly Hall going because it's yeah. going to happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You not, yeah, you need not have it just absolutely erupt in there. Yeah, don't 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 give them additional opportunities to get the crowd involved. I mean, the crowd is exactly. going to be crazy. The fans are going to be loud. The students are, are going to be rude and say just awful things because that's mm-hmm. the IU basketball trademark. Um, but you don't need to give them – opportunities for you know uh live action turnovers that lead to big dunks or you know Mm -hmm. gigantic three-pointers that can turn the tide that's what you want to avoid you want to avoid those live ball turnovers Mm -hmm. exactly it's that quick 6-0 yep 7-0 run that exactly right just gets a crowd going yeah do not need that to happen yeah yeah so I, I, I'm going to tell you my biggest fear 
uh, about this game, and I want to hear yours, um, but I didn't tell you I was going to ask this, so I will go first. My big fear is, you know, going into this game, everybody thought the Penn State game was going to be a trap game because it's before Mm -hmm. your game against IU at IU, um, and that is your rival. That's going to be your toughest game, probably the toughest game left on the schedule. Um, So you're always worried about that, you know, looking ahead. But for me, my biggest fear for this game is Purdue getting off to a slow start. Um, I I think guys like Lawyer and Smith – we love them to death. We think they're great. But as freshmen, they really have not mm-hmm. been in an environment like Assembly Hall before. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we, we dunk on Assembly Hall a lot. We, we like to you know talk about the stuff that falls from the ceiling and, and the scoreboard and all that. Um, but it is a hard place to play, especially for Purdue. There is a mm-hmm. unique hatred between these two teams, between these two schools, that makes every game in Assembly Hall difficult for Purdue and every game in Mackey difficult for IU. So I'm worried about Purdue getting off to a slow start that causes then the crowd to get into it, to get into their faces, and to make it even harder for Purdue to kind of find their footing and and control the tempo of the game and then getting behind and having to chase having to chase the whole game, which, as Painter has acknowledged numerous times, really takes so much more energy, and I worry mm-hmm. about then having to play from behind um, and having to find a way back. So that is my biggest worry about this game. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Mine is sort of a tangent to yours. Um, my fear is that this is the one game in which Zach Eady is going to get into foul trouble. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. And the writing almost seems on the wall. It's at Assembly Hall, and you feel like Trace Jackson Davis is just going to come and attack Zach Eady just to get shots at the rim. Yeah, you're probably and right. And if he gets into foul trouble, this is what is going to push Purdue. They have not had this issue at all this season they have not had it where they need to absolutely just take him out and then it's going to be compounded with the issue you mentioned because then you have um trey kaufman wren coming in and he is a you know this will be his first game playing at assembly hall so you essentially have you know you have another freshman so just it's going to keep compounding, make it harder, and that could spiral for Purdue. Yeah. I it could happen. I don't know that it will because we keep saying that there's going to be a game that the freshmen don't look good. There's going to be a game that Zach Eady gets into foul trouble. It hasn't happened. Yeah, and Purdue has played competition that is on par with. Indiana, it maybe not at Assembly Hall, but still, they've played good competition, and just this hasn't happened. This team is just different. Plus, if a team which Purdue is very good at forcing jump shots and three pointers, if they're taking those, they won't foul yeah. the shooters. Yeah, they are disciplined, which is the greatest thing you can imagine. <laughs> so, I mean, Purdue against Penn State, had nine fouls in the entire game. Yeah, which is just crazy. Do I think that will happen away from Mackey? Absolutely not. But this team understands how not to foul, how to get away from contact, 
and still force difficult shots. But keep saying it's got to happen at some point. I think this would be the most likely point for that to finally happen. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. That's an excellent point. Um, it's never, never easy to get the calls in Assembly Hall. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Big Ten, the NCAA, everybody would say, you know, where you play doesn't matter. Uh, the officials are the officials, and they and they ref it straight up each and every game. Oh. But everybody who watches college basketball knows that is not true. Knows there is always mm-hmm. some sort of favor uh, for the home team, and that the crowd does impact the game. And I think nowhere is that more true in the Big Ten um, for Purdue than at Assembly Hall. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's going to be something that we have to watch. And Zach Eady has to be exceedingly careful uh, because we would hate for this to be the one game where he does get in foul trouble. So uh, right. I we normally don't do this on the podcast, but last thing before we go, uh, I'm not going to ask you for a score prediction, but I want mm-hmm. I just want you to tell me: Do we think Purdue is going to walk away with a victory uh, when they when they leave Assembly Hall? You know, it's going to be game starts at four on ESPN, be over around six. 6.45, 7 o'clock, they're getting on the bus. Uh, are they going to be happy or are they going to be sad uh, for the ride back to West Lafayette? I think they will be happy. I think this team just has too much too much un, unwarranted, unexpected discipline and leadership that they can come into this environment and do what they're supposed to do. Yeah unwarranted i love that that is so true that like i never would have used those words but it makes mm-hmm. no sense that this team is this disciplined and this like just focused on everything and, given yeah, and cohesive yeah given given mm-hmm. the number of freshmen and the lack of experience at so many positions uh in the big 10 and yet here we are um it, it's incredible to me so i think you said it absolutely perfectly there I do think they're going to walk away with a victory. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be very close. I do not expect some sort of blowout. I think it's going to be a tight game the whole way, uh, but I do mm-hmm. think Purdue walks away with a victory and I think it sets Purdue up, you know, to to kind of waltz to the Big 10 title. Um <laughs> but man, I, I think it, I've not looked forward to a Purdue IU game um like this in in a little a little while um i love Mm -hmm. it every year it's always one of my favorite games to watch but knowing that purdue is number one going into the lion's den that's hard to beat i mean it's going to be special for these players special for these coaches and i really hope everyone truly appreciates what we're watching uh, because it may be something that most of us never see again um you know purdue number one heading to iu uh, just an absolutely incredible scenario, and and I'm looking forward to every single second of this game. So, um, I you know d- what a what a fun thing to even talk about. Just just incredible. <laughs> Never thought we would be here in the off season. So, uh, Ryan, thanks so much for for chatting with me tonight. Um, for Ryan and myself, you know, boiler up. Let's enjoy a hell of a game on Saturday. And when Ryan and I record on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to talking about this beatdown of IU. So, boiler up, folks. Hammer down, IU sucks. (laughs) There we go. Let's do it.